0: We invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship, and as they depart from us, let us bow together and pray. We pray this morning, O God, for that reforming of our hearts, which makes all of life worth living. Gathered in this place each week, we go through these rituals of worship, our best attempts to speak to the mystery of love and life and hope and peace. May we always recognize that you are bigger than this room. You are more beautiful than this space. And you are more eternal than this present moment. And yet we feel you here and we listen for you now to speak to us in the deepest places in our souls. In the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. A drunk got on a subway one evening, sitting down next to a Roman Catholic priest. The drunk's tie was stained, and his face had red lipstick on one side. From his torn coat pocket, you could clearly see the half half-empty gin bottle, and you could smell the man before you even saw him. He sat down next to the priest and opened up his newspaper and began reading, but presently he looked up and said, Say, Father, what is it that causes arthritis? The priest looked over at the man and said, Well, my son is caused by loose living, by drinking too much and hanging out with cheap women and not taking a bath often enough. But after a few moments, he began to feel bad about his answer and turned to the man again and said, Hey, I, I apologize. I shouldn't have come on so strong. How long have you had arthritis? Oh, I don't have arthritis, Father. I was just reading here that the Pope has arthritis. <laughs> the moral of the story is to make sure you understand the question before offering an answer. How many of you are tired of uh, political ads on TV these days? Amen. Amen. We're all united. We may not agree on how to vote, but we agree we're tired of those ads. Because most of them are based on the old game we play, gotcha. Gotcha. I trap you in your own words and play your own words back to you in a way that makes you look silly or small. It's familiar. We do this all the time. We do it at work. Kids do it at school, we do it at homes, we do it in our closest relationships. It's been going on a long, long time. Matthew 22 is a whole chapter devoted to gotcha questions. Pharisees and Sadducees, two wings of the Jewish group, a Jewish people who, frankly, don't like each other. They're like Democrats and Republicans. They don't get along except when there's a common enemy. And here they found a common enemy. This iconoclast who didn't play by the rules, who didn't stay within the traditional fences, and who, frankly, by his actions, were questioning their own authority and leadership. His name was Jesus. And they determined, this guy's got to go. We've got to strike at this renegade, and we'll do so by playing gotcha. So they go to him with a question. First, the Pharisees take a whack at it. Teacher, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? He answers the question beautifully. The Sadducees come, and they come with a, a strange hypothetical about a, a woman married to a man. They have no children. She die, He dies. The woman's a widow. It says in Moses' teaching that uh, the brother of the deceased man is to marry the woman and take her as his wife. Now, there was a woman who married a man. He died, so his brother married her. He died. The next brother married her. Seven brothers all died. I call her typhoid Mary. Um, (laughs) Whoa. All of them die. So Jesus, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And I could just feel Jesus' brain blowing up going, you guys so don't get this. You're so literalistic. You're so fundamentalist that you're cheapening this whole mystery that there's more to life, that that there's resurrection. Matthew says that Jesus understood the question before giving an answer. He knew what they were up to, but still he bears to them these deep, beautiful answers that bear so much light and life. He's not just a superior arguer. I mean, if that was the only criteria, Terry would be uh, the best one for that job. But... It's not just about arguing. It's about offering a way of liberation and life. To say that God is not done. To say that there's more. Matthew says he silenced the Sadducees. They don't have a word to say. And here he stands as the word made flesh. The word that could offer them liberation from this place where they're stuck well they try it a third time the pharisees decide to send in a ringer a legal expert who asks them this great question it is a great question it gets to the heart of the matter teacher of all the commandments which one is the greatest it's a great question but it could be a tricky question He could say something that wasn't their favorite commandment. Everyone had their favorite commandment. Here's what he said. He drew from Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, and from Leviticus, uh, the third book of the Bible. And he says this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind. Love, Love this one who is bigger and more beautiful than you imagined, not just someone up in the sky, but love this energy and this one who connects us and makes life worth living. Love your life with all of your heart, your best self, your true self, with all of your heart, your soul, your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, but there's a second one. It's a twin sister. It's almost like a a stunt double. It could be the second side of the coin that Jesus asked for when he answered the question, should we pay taxes to Caesar? The two sides of the same coin. The second one is this. As you love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. This isn't just an answer to the question. This is the heart of the matter. This is the way to life. To love God wherever God is found. To love this life we have, which is not all of that God is, but God is at least this life we have. To love the image of God in yourself. And then to see that image of God in every person. Lovable and unlovable. Acceptable and unacceptable. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. He could have stopped there. And in some versions of Jesus' life story, in other Gospels, it does stop there. But in Matthew, it goes on. He's not done. He then turns and asks them a question. But he doesn't do so in that gotcha kind of way. He's not devolving to their ego level. He's asking a question for clarity. It's an odd question, frankly. It sounds like a kind of technical and almost random question about whose son is the Messiah? Whose son is this Christ that he is, of course? Now, we know that Christ is not Jesus' last name, right? He's not Jesus Christ, son of Joseph and Mary Christ. He's Jesus the Christ, the one who comes bearing the love of God in a liberating way into the world. So whose son is this Christ, he asks them. And it's an important question because it really dictates how vast and how wide the message of this Christ can go. Is this a Christ just for one group of people? Or is this a Christ who comes into the world for all people? It also raises the question about who's in charge, who gets to speak for God. If, as they're about to say, he is the son of David, then they, the descendants of David, can say, well, we're the authorities. We're the spokespeople. But Jesus asks them a question. When they respond, the son of David, Jesus then asks them, but David... Inspired by the Holy Spirit says in Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I can make your enemies your footstool. Now, if David, inspired by the Spirit, calls him Lord, how can he be his son? How can he be his son? It's not a gotcha question. It's an invitational question. It's an invitation to Pharisees uh, then and maybe now to say, How big is your God? How broad is your Christ? How inclusive is your message? Are you bound by traditions, as helpful as traditions can be sometimes? Are you confined to one elite group, even Jesus' own people, the Jewish people? Or is God bigger? bigger the pharisees and the sadducees and frankly many of us today are what richard Rohr would call loyal soldiers loyal soldiers play by the rules loyal soldiers maintain the tradition loyal soldiers follow orders yours is not to reason why yours is but to do or die the pharisees are loyal soldiers their qu- trick questions, their attempts to shut Jesus down, and the movement of love he is starting is a loyal soldier act. But you know as well as I do that loyal soldier acts rarely bear the kind of love that's transforming. Rarely speak and act in a way that moves beyond duty to the profundity and the healing power of love. We've all seen parents playing with their children. Not out of an act of love and solidarity, but rather as an act of guilt and shame and duty. Maybe dad's rushing out to work and sees his child there playing and thinks, Oh my gosh, the Harry Chapin song starts playing in his head, the cat's in the cradle and... My child's growing up, so I'm going to play not out of love, but out of duty. And the child asks, Daddy, why are you mad at me? Or the adult child who has an aging parent. Perhaps the child mechanically and dutifully does all the things that need to be done. Buys the depends, fills the pill box, uh, visits on a regular basis, but does so more out of a sense of duty than out of love. Well, the parent knows it, observers know it, and the person knows it. I think of the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. Who did dutifully everything that the father might want of him, but didn't feel connected to the family because it didn't originate from love. And so he missed the party entirely. Not only his brother's party, but the party that could have been his life. One of the problems of being a loyal soldier is that you can go your whole life, your whole life, and never get to the heart of the matter. And so Jesus questioned back to the Pharisees. It's not a gotcha kind of question. Ha! Trapped you. Tricked you. I win. You lose. But rather gotcha as this. Hey, I got gotcha. you. I got your back. I got gotcha you if you'll trust. I got gotcha you if you'll fall. We're in this together. No matter the road, we're in it together. <laughs> Jesus wants to decommission loyal soldiers, to decommission loyal soldiers, to say, that work is over. I'm now inviting you into a new place to move from being loyal soldiers to being loyal lovers, people who so get this glory of God that that. That you're able to love God with all of your heart and soul and mind. And love others as yourself. To move beyond this religion of ours and us. To a religion of we. That includes all of God's people. The strangest part of this passage is. That you get the impression that Jesus. Thinks that Pharisees and Sadducees and you and me, that we can actually embody this love. We can actually be the people of God in this world, just as he was the person of God in this world. I think that's what Paul believed. In the passage Perry read for us from Thessalonians, Paul says, hey, we're entrusted by God with the message of the gospel. It's not just the message, it's us. We ourselves, we're bringing it to you. Paul believed that we could be the bearers of this love. It's what Luther believed that day in 1517. Luther thought that the church could operate from a truer center, a higher calling, and really bear love, not just create loyal soldiers, but make loyal lovers. That's the work of this church and all churches. To always reform ourselves so that we get back to the heart of the matter. What is it that God is calling us to do and to be? James McClendon, that great Baptist theologian, says, The goal here is not to have a set-apart ministry of those who work for God while other people work for themselves. Not to have a flock of secular callings like doctor, lawyer, or merchant and then a group of people who are, t- who are tended by shepherds who have a religious call, popes and pastors and priests. The goal is to have a group of people who are set apart, on the one hand, earning their daily bread in honest toil in order to become for others the bread of life. It's who we were called to be, That's reformation. How do we get there? How do we get from where we are to where we need to be? The answer, as Cynthia Bourgeau says, is simple, really. It'll only cost you everything. It's simple. It'll just cost you everything. To surrender yourself, to let... God get you to risk, to lose yourself in order to find, as Jesus said, to grow and to mature and to be the person that God is calling you to be. The question is if you're willing to do it. The saddest line in this text to me is the last line. Matthew writes, from that day, no one dared ask Jesus any more questions The Sadducees and Pharisees were so trapped into their system of trapping questions that they missed the invitation to lay down their trapping questions. Gotcha. And to embrace the trusting questions that can evoke real faith and love. The question for us today is, do we trust Would we let God call us to what really is the heart of the matter? Let's pray together. There is no question you call, O God. The only question is our willingness, our courage, our devotion to say yes. Give us ears to hear and hearts to say yes. In your holy name we pray, amen.